2: Drivers, start your engines!
0: Get the pace car! What's for? Because you need any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect.
2: When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santorowski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we uh, go over this past week in racing and preview preview next week. Joining me in the studio, I have Richard Uden, Louise Torres, and Mr. Joey Barnes. How are we doing, gentlemen? Good,
3: thank you.
1: Doing
2: good, man. It's going. It's going. (laughs) Louise, you always, you're always so upbeat, I tell you, but <laughs> so anyway, um, not a ton of racing this past weekend, uh, with it being uh father's day and also Juneteenth, uh, holiday as well. So the, um, the IndyCar guys were off as were the NASCAR guys. Uh, we did have a formula one run in Canada, uh, and the SRX guys race on Saturday night. So we'll get into that. But, uh, first off some news I read this morning that, um, Bruton Smith, who was the founder of the Charlotte Motor Speedway and then and then later built him a bit of an empire um, of uh, racetracks and whatnot, passed away at the age of 95. And here's a guy that was really instrumental in um, NASCAR for for quite a long time, uh, you know, responsible for uh, um, some of the periods of large growth, some of the things that he did and uh, uh, whatnot. He was involved right there. So, um you know, sad, sad to see him gone to pretty, uh, you know, again, really instrumental guy. Um, there's some folks who don't like some of the things he did when it come to, uh, you know, losing some of the older and smaller tracks off the schedule. But uh, again, you know, the, the world moves forward and not backwards. So um, uh, now, Richard, in your, your years in NASCAR, do you ever have any uh, any any time to interact with Bruton Smith or or any of his folks with the um, with Speedway Motorsports?
3: No, 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 not a huge amount. Obviously, you know it's well known what he what he did to the sport, and in, in some ways, I guess you could consider modernising it and, and um, harmonising it with with the. Uh, there's two ways of looking at it. Really, you know, you can harmonise it and monopolise it when you have when you own such a large number of, uh, of tracks that he did. But uh, you know, some of the facilities have certainly improved over the years. If you look back at what they were like, so uh, you know, I think there's certainly some credit due there.
2: Yeah, I mean they. Uh you know, they were buying up some existing tracks for a time. I remember when they, uh, the Kentucky Speedway is not far from my home. I remember when the, uh, you know, Kentucky Speedway was sold and then purchased by Bruton Smith's company. And, uh, just the, the improvements were immediate. I mean, you know, a lot of these muddy, grassy, hilly, uh, parking areas became paved. Uh, you know, the restrooms suddenly became nicer. There suddenly became more grandstands and then they got to place a cup date. You know, I, now it's all for not now the the place is sitting um being used as a storage facility now with uh, no race dates but uh when they did take it over they they put a quite an investment in there um and it was it, it immediately improved uh, what was already a pretty pretty darn good racetrack to go to so um you really can't downplay his um significance of you know just working with the tracks to build them into better f- facilities uh but at the same time some of the things that him and his, uh, his partner in crime, I guess, Humpy Wheeler, uh, his promoter, uh, they, they really kind of pushed the envelope when it, when it turned, uh, to making a race weekend into, uh, just a weekend of entertainment. Some of the, the interesting things they did there at the Charlotte motor speedway, particularly for the all-star race. Now, Louise, you were telling me some of these, uh, uh, things they've, they've done. Yeah. They, when you look at the stuff they did
1: at Char, Charlotte motor speedway, for example, they would make a huge emphasis on their pre-race entertainment where they have like demo der- demo derby like robot eating stuff like metal or human cannonballs which they actually did have a human cannonball like between stages at texas during all-star weekend which was very which was very unique it's very uh, tr- which is a nice idea it just caught me off guard at the while at the track because i was obviously focusing on what I usually do writing and photography, but it's just little stuff where they, they go the extra leasing and boundaries to make these things happen. Yeah. And when, yeah, they had to do it in a short amount of time. Yes. It, there was a lot of fire and destruction, but for all the sake of inter- entertainment for his time. And I think when we look at, when we talk about, sometimes you got uh, racetracks need to kind of put emphasis on the pre race stuff a lot more to get more people out there. Whether it's NASCAR or IndyCar, whichever SMI, whichever sanctioned body, and is at an SMI track or in general, you want to build entertainment, whether it's concerts or Crash Course TV, to make the price worth the the price of admission worth it, because it's more than just racing these days in the eyes of the big companies.
2: Oh, you so, wanna, yeah, you know, certainly. Um, yeah, and if you if you if you look at some of the say like some of the struggles IndyCar is having at, at filling up oval facilities. And, you know, part of the, part of the knock on overrace at Indies is, is there just so much downtime and nothing, nothing to do, no entertainment, you know? So, uh, when you figure a concept like this of, of just making the whole thing, a big show, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, a a guy in a motorcycle jumping over buses, evil Knievel style, or, or cars going through hoops of fires, you know, anything to kind of keep you engaged and, and, and watching, um, during the, uh, during the downtime when there's no race cars on the track. And, they, and I think Charlotte was the first one to have um, giant, enormous um, HDTVs put in uh, for the, um, for the jumbotrons, They're the first ones to do major upgrades for that. So. Yeah. yeah and then, and with, when it comes to Bruton's
1: legacy as well, he was one of those that kind of provided more tracks for NASCAR, because you have the ISC and then SMI and they were able to kind of be toe-to-toe but also provide different track varieties yeah when you retroactively to some people there's some disdain with it but at the end of the day what he's able to do in nascar and racing in general can't
2: be ignored because he's done a lot of contributions in general exactly yeah so so Bruton smith passed away at the ripe old age of 95 again and again a major contributor to uh to the sport of motor racing in general. So, uh, but let's, uh, let's move on and let's talk about, um, the Canadian Grand Prix where once again, Max Verstappen was victorious and, um, his closest championship rival, uh, his own teammate, uh, ran into some mechanical difficulty. His next closest rival being, um, Leclerc started well, well in the back. So, uh, Richard, let's talk about, uh, the race in Montreal a little bit.
3: Yeah, so, you know, you mentioned there, Charles Leclerc starting in the back. I think that was one of the main main talking points the whole weekend. Based on uh, the engine of failure in Baku uh, the previous week, um, Fry decided to fit Charles Leclerc's car with a new power unit, uh, which took him over some of the limits. Uh, so he took a, you know, a grid penalty, uh, which basically put him to the back of the grid. Um, Saturday qualifying was very, very wet. Um, and was was pretty eventful. Um, track drying throughout the day. Yeah, started on full wets, went down to intermediates, and he, George Russell at one point there at the end tried uh, tried a lap on uh, on slicks and ended up <laughs> up against the tyre barrier, which wasn't uh, you know the best end for qualifying for him, but. Uh, no, you know, Max started on pole with, with Alonso up there in, in, in P2 with, with Carl Sainz there in third, which was great to see Alonso up there. He was fantastic in the wet, you know, really showed some of, it, some of his prowess there. You know, he's probably driving this year, I'd say, as well as he's ever driven, um, you know, which is testament to his his fitness and dedication, especially considering the accident he had just before his return at the start of last year. Uh, the, the, the race was was reasonably... Uh, i wouldn't say professional but not a huge uh challenge for max and he got to, got done what he needed to get done um no real threat to him apart from at the end of the race there when uh, uh you know um, carlos Sainz went on an alternate strategy and, uh, and and pushed him um you know at the end for the last 10 15 laps on on fresher tires uh, after a safety car period for uh uh Sonoda crashing at the exit of pit lane on cold tides, which was a little bit embarrassing for the boy there. Um, yeah, yeah was, I mean, yeah, Ma- good Ma- Canadian
2: Grand Prix. yeah, Max did have a little a little moment of anxiety, I guess, got a little heated on the radio with his team when uh they failed to uh get out ahead of uh Lewis Hamilton on a cycle of pit stops. But I mean, it was only a few corners later, Max. Yeah, back I, mean, out was front. I mean, yeah, you know what I mean, as you get a little. A little aggravated over nothing, but Max is pulling out a heck of a lead in the standings yeah, now. He's yeah. 170, I mean, a, 175 it, points dull, and it. six wins, yeah. And, and uh, Sergio's 129 points, so yeah. he's got a pretty healthy lead. He's starting to run away with this thing, yeah. Um, I mean, Sergio had a DNF, um, yes, as yep. did
3: Mick Schumacher. Um, but uh, no, it was uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just almost two wins now ahead of. of Carl, uh, of Charles Leclerc, and you'd imagine he's his biggest rival, you know, even though um, Sergio's in points. Um, the they, scary is the wrong word, but the concerning thing for most of the team out there, or most of the drivers out there, is that, you know, Red Bull have a big upgrade package coming to a, you know, Silverstone Austria or France, one of the next few races. That apparently will address one of Max's big concerns with the car: is lack of front-end grip. Um, and apparently, they say that's worth two to three tenths of a second a lap in terms of performance. So if he suddenly comes along with another two or three tenths and gets the car balanced as he'd like, then, whew, yeah, watch out, everybody, because that's going yeah, to yeah,
2: We're going to see the select the. Some of the uh, Mercedes domination we've seen in the last couple of years. You Potentially, know, yeah, and
3: it's, So it's obviously up to Ferrari how they're going to react. But they obviously still have their reliability issues at the moment. So absolutely, um, yeah. Now Mer- Mercedes yeah, looks, true...
2: Mer- yeah, Mercedes looks to be a bit improved. Um, and they say yeah. they've they've kind of, I guess they've kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? They've isolated their problem with the porpoising. Uh, but but yeah, the, but, I mean, but the end result to get that fixed is actually going to slow the car. So which is not really great yeah, news for it's, Lewis it's a bit and of a George.
3: Balance, really. And, yeah, it's a bit of a balance, but also they're playing games with the FIA a little bit, which I think is upsetting a few people. Um, They actually ran Friday practice with a second floor stay, which was designed to stop the floor from flexing too much and hold it in place to stop this porpoising. Uh, And then that was deemed illegal, so they had to take that off the car. And it was almost as if Mercedes are sort of trying to back the FIA into a corner to allow them to run with a different, uh, you know, or change the regulations and the rules on this, um, you know, the issues with the porpoising and the, and the bouncing that we've been seeing. And, you know, a lot of the owners, you know, team owners like Christian Horner, for example, is, you know, making comments along the lines of, "Well, you know, if you watch Hamilton get out of his car and back, it was, you know, a great piece of acting, and you know, he deserves an Oscar and all that sort of stuff." For it, and I think there's a little bit of it. You know, if you do have an issue with that, you know, with that, and you're trying to get the the governing body to change it, you make sure that the driver sort of crawls out the car and winces and looks like he's in agony and all this sort of stuff. Um, I'm not saying that this poor thing we're seeing is acceptable. Certainly, something needs to be done, but I, I, I don't think it's as bad as Mercedes is making out to be. And at the end of the day, they do have the option of raising the ride heights, which will reduce the porpoising, admittedly slow the car down, but it's a balance. And on the same extent of that, both Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull are turning around and saying, hang on, why should we change the rules if we've managed to design a car that doesn't porpoise just because the Mercedes does? Um, and it's a very, 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 very valid comment in my mind.
2: Yeah, it was a little bit of a sticky situation because initially the FIA approved the the second floor stay, and then yeah. when o- when other teams threatened to um, protest it, then then suddenly now it's illegal. So I, I mean, I guess the yeah. FIA needs to look before they leap or or make sure they they run something yeah, by. Yeah, it's this by. whole
3: issue with the F- Yeah, it's this whole issue that we seen going on at the moment with the FIA and. Um, the stewards at each event and all this sort of stuff, making sure that, um, you know, we're everybody's on the same page and everything's going in the right direction because there's been a little bit, you know, sort of Monaco with uh, the pit lane exit vi- potential violations and all this sort of stuff. You know, there's a little bit of inconsistency there. And, and maybe with these new race directors, you know, with Michael Massey obviously having been relieved of his duties, you know, it, there's maybe a little bit of discontinuation there and they need to get a little bit more... Um, common ground there should we say
4: and just kind of curious um i know i'm usually not on for the f1 type segments but i was just kind of curious and wanted to ask this question to richard is you know you talk about you know porpoising and and how raising the ride height would would cause you to lose a little bit of time in some Mm -hmm. ways and and this is just me looking at it with an eye test but because i'm not an engineer right i'm far from it but it almost seems like when you're having a car that that dips and raises based on the the ride height and the porpoising effect that it got that it goes through, doesn't it seem like keeping that and not raising the ride height would actually like hurt the time more than raising it just because of reduced because of the impact of the drag from the bouncing as opposed to raising it and then maybe slicing a little bit. In that
3: said. I mean, you don't really get much reduction in lap time per se from this porpoising um, because it's actually an effect of downforce that's being generated. So in the old previous generation's car, the aerodynamics of a car would push the car down into the track. With a ground effect car, the air flowing under the car actually pulls the car down onto the track. Um, and when it, when it bottoms out, that effect what they call stalls and raises the car suddenly as soon as the car raises you suddenly have the airflow which again pulls it back down the only area where you see real um reduction in performance from porpoising is actually under braking and if you brake just at the point where you've bottomed out and the car's raised off the ground you could lose um, you know, you, you're losing grip, so you don't have as much downforce at the point of braking, so you, your braking zone's gonna be a little bit longer. We saw a little bit of that at the start of the season, but I think most teams have got on top of that for feature now. But it's the, the biggest issue I think is, is more um from uh you know, drivability and and when you raise the ride heights, it doesn't really affect your performance in a straight line, it affects you more through the corners where you can't generate that that same amount of downforce.
2: Right, but isn't isn't the major problem problem with the porpoising the... Um, just just kind of like the drivers getting banged around? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, the,
3: the vision's becoming blurry and they're, they're suffering from back pain <coughs> and the like. Um, but yeah, so if you raise the ride height, your straight line sweep doesn't really drop very much. It's your cornering ability which reduces because, you, you know, you don't porpoise in the corner because you're not going fast enough to generate enough downforce. Um, so, or to... to to pull the car onto the ground should we say um, cars are always bottomed out at high speed because even though they're going in a straight line at high speeds is when they've generated the most downfalls because the being you know the airflow over the wing is, the, is at the greatest uh, speed so you get a greater def- pressure different- differential which pushes the car on the ground so that's why you see the cars even back in the, the previous generation of aero um, regulations the cars would bottom out at high speed but when you're bottoming out, with bottoming out, that wouldn't stall the aerodynamic effect. It would just cause it to sort of scrape, whereas now, obviously, it has a far greater impact on performance. So straight lounge speed isn't really negated or affected by the porpoising. It's actually the cornering speed that is. And, yeah, it's the concern, if you don't raise the ride height, is driver safety.
2: All right. Wonderful answer, Richard. Did that, uh, Joey, did that answer your question? Uh, I would imagine that it did. So uh, (laughs) uh, moving on then. So it was, uh, you mentioned Alonzo. You know, both the Alpines did well in qualifying. Uh, They they also did pretty decently in the race. I mean, the result wasn't there, but they were both, uh, you know, kind of stayed reasonably close to the front. Um you know, they weren't able to hold off the Ferraris and the Mercedes at times. But uh, you know, Alpine is looking like um you know, they're they're moving up in the world. I mean their guys are ninth and tenth in points right now. Um yeah. you know, you know, the only the only one ahead of them that's not among those top three teams is uh you know v- valtry and the um Alpha Romeo. So they're um you know, those the, both the Alpine guys are doing better than McLaren and whatnot. So uh <clears throat> Yeah, it's, um, you know, good for them. So, look like Joey got kicked off. Oh, yeah,
3: dropped off again. But, uh, no, yeah, the, you know, Alpine are, are looking good. They really are. they sort of stepped up. You know, they're probably best of the rest of them on a consistent basis. Um, and, you know, until teams like you know, Aston Martin and, and McLaren sort of maybe up their game a little bit, uh, they, they do look pretty strong. And and that's one of the great things I think at the moment about um, you know the Formula One Championship. As we said in previous years, outside the top two or three teams, that midfield is is very cl- closely packed. And um, you know, any given any given weekend or any given Sunday, uh, you know, they they you can have any order out there, and it's not a surprise to anybody. It's great to see.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Now the other kind of rumor swirling around F One is that. Uh, uh, Latifi is about to be replaced at Williams, you know, after after the Canadian yeah. Grand Prix, which was you know this past weekend. So, we heard anything more on that front?
3: There, I think it, I don't think it's going to be mid-season because obviously, if they lose in mid-season, there's going to be financial implication to that. I imagine it will be at the end of the year when um, uh, Oscar Piastri comes on board, uh, who's the test driver or the third driver, should we say? Uh, Aston Martin, uh, sorry, uh, Alpine, who's very, very highly regarded uh, in, in in a lot of a lot of circles in the Form One paddock, and he would be loaned to Williams from um, Alpine, probably under the conce- uh, conception that um, uh, Alonso will have another year at Alpine in in 2023, and then Piastri will move over at the end of 2023 and, and take that seat.
2: All right, yeah. Like I say, the rumors are pretty heavy that they were just going to dump this guy mid-season. But I, yeah,
1: I do, not I do not he heard writes... it through one source, and that's about it. I haven't heard it from the more reliable ones.
3: Yeah, yeah I mean, Latifi brings a lot of money to the table. That that he does, um, and,
2: and Williams, we know, so, needs the money.
3: Yeah, um, although saying that, you know, you look at—I was reading an article about the the, the rise of the Form One franchise and how you know, Dalton Capital bought Williams for $150 million about two years ago. And the going right now for Williams would be $750 million because of the entry and the revenue streams associated with Formula 1 at the moment. So, And that's one of the reasons why a lot of the existing teams are reluctant to get a team like Andretti on board because they'll see this dil- um, diluted revenue stream. Um, so... Yeah, it's it certainly you know. You say the teams need money, but this is the first time in living memory I think that you that I can remember that not being oh this team may not make it to the end of the season sort of thing. And the budget caps helped that massively, I think.
2: Oh, without a doubt, yeah, yeah. I mean, the budget budget cap has just done wonders for uh, you know tightening up the field as well. Yeah, for the most part. And,
1: and speaking of another side note this season is that Gasly will stay with Alpha AlphaTauri. I know we were. Talking about a couple of weeks ago that if they were about the whole McLaren and Daniel Ricard seeing it, maybe that's where Gasly goes. But like I emphasized, it seems like AlphaTauri wants to be their own identity rather than just be the Red Bull Junior. So keeping Gasly may do them wonders over time, even more by having him around a couple more years because he's proven himself to be the guy that kind of carries that torch for for the team that wants to be more than just the quote unquote Junior program.
3: Yep, no, I wouldn't disagree with that.
2: There, and um, and, and speaking of Red Bull Junior programs, we had a another situation uh, where where a a um uh, what was the name um Vips or Vips Yuri Vips, Yuri Vips yeah. s- suspended for again usually using I, I guess racially racially insensitive and homophobic language taken uh, from the uh,
3: Carl, Lewis, uh, Carl license Carl larson's of diplomacy i think
2: yeah. Okay. i mean here <laughs> but, um, we go on a live video game stream i'm like hey, you know when i just i don't understand uh, number one how how people kind of freely use that language to begin with but then yeah in, in a in a in a public setting uh when you're in the public eye yeah. so, so here here's a guy who's been suspended um and i'm sure he'll have to do the whole sensitivity training in the whole, but uh you know you this uh, this guy's not a Kyle Larson level talent you know what i mean no. so so, uh, this, so this this may be the, this may be the end of this poor guy but uh, but again it's just it, it's ridiculous that these silly things happen to these guys you know uh,
3: well you know yeah you're right but to the same extent i'm not being disrespectful to him these guys at this level don't have a huge amount of responsibility in their day to day work so for somebody to say, you know, one of your responsibilities is don't make racial slurs in, in any domain, it's not exactly asking much of him. And, you know, you'd like to think you wouldn't do that anyway, period. Never mind being reminded not to do it. Um, and, you know, it, it's a very, very fine line uh, that they, they they walk. And I think that, you know, there was a case a few years ago of a, you know, an athlete in the UK missed, missed a random drugs test and got banned. And everybody said, Oh, it's so unfair that he got So, you know, unfair he got banned. But at the end of the day, the guys that have many things that I've got to remember to do, like you or I do on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, I I, 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 I'm quite critical of that sort of thing. You know, they don't have a huge number of things they've got to get right. And that's one of them
2: yeah absolutely so all right so we got got a week off and then we're on to silverstone which is your your home grand prix it and is yes. I, I, yes yes and i know you're you're excited for that in a couple of weeks so uh but yep. until then we'll have a week off now we did have a uh srx race uh, the opening race of the year down in pensacola five flags speedway and it was uh it was our good friend elio castro neves who Initially, wasn't planning on entering the race and ended up texting the guy, I guess, the night before the race or the or the Friday or the Thursday before the, the day before the race. And, hey, man, you got a car because I've uh, my schedule's open. I can make it and, and swoops on in and wins the race. So, um, so The
1: night before at the special 13th entry, And I know there was some confusion as to why is Kastronevich not leading the SRX standings. And I think Don Hogg explained it because he was – The quote-unquote post-entry, the 13th car, he doesn't get any points, on top of the fact he wasn't running the whole SRX tour anyway. So, in theory, they have Tony Kanaan as the championship leader after one round. But, yeah, he shows up at a track that I don't think he's ever been familiarized before, goes out and beat Bubba Pollard to get the SRX win, get to climb the fence at a short track, and that's where we found out that he has a NASCAR race in the works this
2: season uh evidently he's gonna have a car for daytona they, they made a deal if he wins an srx race they'll put him in a car at daytona so uh that'll be that'll be certainly be fun, fun to see uh but but anyway the, the interesting thing about the srx though is right you would expect the short track guys and dirt guys and stock car guys to do well but it's it's kind of amazing how well uh the indycar guys have adapted to this you know if we recall last year marco andretti won one of these races and, um, you know, Ernie Francis, who's uh, got a lot of open wheel background, has uh, done well in this series. Um, Kanan is doing well in this series. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, R- Richard, yeah, are you familiar with what the makeup of the SRX cars are? They Are they a little lighter than a stock car that, that maybe that uh, that, that, it, that it somehow appeals to the IndyCar guys?
3: Potentially, yeah. There's um, You know, it still is conceptually a stock car, you know, in, in, in name. Um, but yeah, maybe the, maybe the drive or the incentive is a little bit stronger with some of the the, the IndyCar guys, you know, maybe they're trying to prove a point and, uh some of the, uh, some of the more mature stock car guys are, uh, you know, seeing this as, you know, they don't quite have that the same level of competitive juices that some of the IndyCar guys have out, uh, I think, you know, you see... Indycar guys are like former, you know a lot of these open wheel guys they'll they'll race anything they they you know they race themselves to the bathroom stall you know at some of these events whereas uh, i i think that in some of the stock car guys that maybe those, as i say that that sort of incentive and that uh, you know mentality isn't quite as prevalent
2: yeah I mean, either, either way it's, it's good to see you know these these big names from different series compete against one another you know oh, it remind, sure. you know, reminds you of the old I rock uh, that we used to have, which yep. you know, and and I rock ended up becoming a a parody of itself towards the end. But uh, and this thing is pretty; it's fun to watch. It's all short tracks, you know what I mean? It's all uh, you know these grassroots, just you know, not even uh you know big, big, high level short tracks. So, uh, but but they got these big names here; they fill the stands, and you know, little places like Pensacola. So uh, that'll be fun to watch. I think they've got um what is it six six races? They
1: got five like more, that, yeah, five yep. more. Than- Afterwards, they're heading to South Boston with the hero driver being Peyton Sellers.
2: Right, right. Yeah, they they have the local the local track champion uh, at at each track, don't they?
1: Yeah, so. they have a local. Or in the case of Bubba Pollard, he had like the av- best average finish in a in a series that they had down there a couple months ago. I know Cole Williams will be the hero driver for Nashville at the Fairgrounds. Because he got the fan boat over Pollard, Stephen Nassie and Britney Zamora. And that Nashville race is where we'll have Joseph Newgar compete in a couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, again, yeah, another another indie car guy in there. Yeah. And we've got other, you know, top names. We got like Bill Elliott's gonna do a couple of races. Uh, as, as well as Chase Elliott, so that'll be yeah. uh, that'll be interesting to see, you know what I mean. It's and then the races are on CBS, so they you know it's not like they're buried on Mav TV or something like that. So, no, uh, they got yeah, the national yeah.
1: CBS and on Paramount Plus. And side note behind Elio and Bubba was Ryan Newman who finished third, which uh, was, I think, based on what I read and heard, is he, that maybe SRX was kind of reigniting his interest in racing because obviously. The last few years in NASCAR was didn't turn out so well for him. That kind of like the fun kind of went away for him, and I, I think SRX. I think at the end of the day, it has its purpose to kind of bring guys.
0: there.
1: To have some fun again in, in racing, those who have been in NASCAR for a long time,
2: yeah. I think, and, and to your point, some of the other guys that are in there are just having fun, like like your Paul Tracy's and your Wheel of Tee Ribs, uh, those you know, kind of retired guys that uh just you know, get that still got that little competitive itch. So, but anyway, speaking of IndyCar guys, now Joey, we are at the halfway point of the IndyCar season. I know you published an article on tobechristy.com. Uh, kind of like a driver by driver analysis at the halfway point. So let's uh, let's break this down a little bit. Let's talk about the IndyCar season at the halfway mark. All right.
4: Yeah. Cool. Let's do it. Um, I don't even know where you want to begin, but uh, uh, I could eight,
2: start at the top, or you can start with uh, who's disappointed you most. I don't know. Wherever, wherever you'd like to start. Whoever you want to talk about. You know. Uh, you know. The rest of us love to talk about IndyCar guys as well. Um,
4: so we got eight races down nine to go. Um, Marcus Erickson, the championship leader, um, been a few good surprises, Marcus being one of them, uh, his drive at Indy was, was something else. Um, and you know, you look further down the leaderboard and you start to kind of look at some of the guys that are outside the top 10 and it's kind of shocking. Cause you, you know, I mean, you wouldn't have expected to see Colton Herta, Graham Rahal, uh, even Grosjean with all the hype that we had heard. Uh, During the offseason, you would have kind of marked them to be guys that are in and you would have thought maybe guys that, you know, maybe Simon Pagino, even though he's ultra talented, a champion uh, Indy 500 winner uh, sitting right in 10th, but new team in Meyer shank Racing, you might have tossed him on the outside a little bit. So it speaks volumes about what they've been able to do. Um, And, you know, I just it's interesting when you finally get a chance to look at all the stats when everything's all said and done and it's interesting to hear the feedback during this during the season you know you you everybody hears it right like and it, you make it sound like uh not you personally frank but the the media <laughs> in general we all make it sound like certain people are having the most disastrous years ever like everybody was looking at rossi uh, alexander rossi and thinking he was just having an absolute stinker of a season and it's not at the dominant level that he once had in 18 and 19 right but man the is there after eight races. He's sitting right around there. He's only Andretti driver in the top ten, which is ironic since he's also leaving the team at the end of the year, um, which kind of speaks volumes in itself when you see the fact that the rest of the cast is outside the top ten. And it just, you know, yeah, sometimes it's not as bad as it seems. Uh, nine races ago, I think the and we can break this all down, but one of the things that I'm taking from the early part of the season is is Scott Dixon being kind of exactly where he probably wants to be to some degree. I mean, obviously he'd rather be leading the championship, but when you look at how he's won some of his championships in the past, starting cold, getting streaky, getting real hot from the halfway point on, this is typical past Scott Dixon territory. That said, I can't help but think about Indy And how big of a change that is from that late uh, pit road speeding penalty, where he was in all likelihood going to finish at least second in the 500, right? Like battling with Mm Pato. He looked like he was a surefire guy to win the thing, possibly just end up relenting to second at worst ends up coming away 21st in a double points paying race.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's all the difference for, you know, uh, so mark erickson to stay at the top there that big points payday yeah at indy but yeah dixon was you know he was he looked to be absolutely unbeatable at indy and the only guy that could beat him was himself and that's exactly what happened
4: yeah and i just i, I look at that thinking that even though this is kind of where we expect scott dixon to get hot you've got to look at that and and there's got to be a note there right there's just got to be something that you look at that and go you know, damn, like, and you feel good at form because, you know, no one's going to feel worse about that than, than Scott. I mean, we saw it at the images of post-race, right? I mean, this guy's a six time champion already won the Indy 500 already a legend, but the magnitude of how much this still means to him is awesome to see, but it's also painful whenever it's a situation like that. So I'd be very interested to see if they can write the ship with qualifying better, um, it'll make Sunday's race days a little bit easier with the exception of Indy's poll. It's been really rough on the qualifying side. Um, and then I think equally, you know, Alex Pillow, um, he's kind of fallen off being Mr. Consistent that we all knew him to be where he had like a podium one, every three starts. Um, it's fallen down a little bit. Now it's like one, every five or one, every four, it's still really freaking good, but, um, you you start to look at that and you see the situation with Erickson and the clash at road America, a little bit of, of kinks in the armor, so to speak. And um, you start to wonder if Erickson with all his consistency that he's built up, everybody's looking at Grosjean. That's the sexy pick this year. There's nothing overly sexy with the, because Erickson doesn't have that, that flamboyant personality, He's not been known as a man on fire. Uh, you know. Hopefully that never comes to be either also, by the way. But you start to look at this and Jeez. you start to look at this, though, and it's like, man, Erickson is so consistent. It's going to be really hard to beat him unless he hits a bad run. And it happens to everybody. It's happened to pelo and you didn't think it would happen to pelo But, man, in his own team, you'd be hard-pressed to say that Erickson isn't the favorite right now.
2: I know. And when you consider who his teammates are, you know what I mean? He's got, uh, you know, Chip's got three, three pretty solid cars in there. And uh, Erickson, Erickson's leading. So, uh, and of course, you know, with that lead there, he's going to, you know, the, 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 team will make sure that they, they kind of keep him there. So and yeah, the other right. guy, I think you just really got to watch out for, um, who you've consistently had to watch or championship wise is uh new garden.
4: I'm glad I you mean, brought him up.
2: Yep. Yep. Cause he is, uh, uh, you know, he you know, had a couple of uh, miscues early in the season, but he's right there and he's a consistent winner. Mm-hmm.
1: The only yeah. one with three wins so far. Uh, exactly, he's the, only, yeah. he's
4: the only multi-time winner this year through eight races. He's got almost half. And a, of them and and
3: a, and a million dollars better off for, it, for winning those three races as well.
4: Yeah. I, I, I tell you what's more staggering with that is, and I had mentioned this in the, in the article that you'd mentioned earlier is uh, uh, Frank is, this is only eight races with a new race engineer, Eric Lytle, who was never a race engineer prior to this, right? He comes in, he replaces Gavin Ward, who is a very accomplished engineer who's been in formula one, been in that paddock, come over here, won titles with new garden. um, And, you know, goes on and departs for Aaron McLaren SP and they slide Eric Lytle in there. And, you know, I just, here we are three races, uh, three wins, I mean, and, right now and this is no joke uh this is the quickest that new garden has ever won three races in a season and like he, he's won four in one year and that's the most he's ever had in one season but this was the 23rd win of his IndyCar car career and uh, you just got to think like in that kind of form if they could just nail down some consistency you'd be hard-pressed to think that he's just not going to start to carry this thing because we go to two races in iowa which you know, hey, who would have thought a doubleheader in Iowa a place that Penske could win with Newgarden, who does nothing but win in Iowa? Who would have known that would have been the schedule that would have come out? But, um, you know, I, Newgarden can take two wins there. He could win anywhere. I mean, hell, it's it's proven already. But um, I think he's going to be tough to beat. I think Will's Will's been consistent, but I think Will's going to have to win a little bit more. Um, that's just my my gut feeling. And equally, I think that, if Dixon's capable of getting on a tear, I mean, look, any of these guys, if they get into their true form, they're going to be unbeatable. Um, I, I right, think dude, it, you've got, you've it's got.
1: honestly hard to disagree is for sure, because I think power, he's got to have to rack up those wins. Like, like you said, and this for Dixon. He just needs to win period. It's been over a year. I, I'll be
4: honest. I think the cutoff spot right now, when I'm really starting to look at this championship race and I go through the whole running order, I mean, I think you look at, oh man, I think you you probably can be where Rossi's at. And I think the top seven right now are fighting for this thing right now, unless something dramatically happens to change the swing of things and brings Felix in or McLaughlin in in the ninth spot. You can't see Colton coming up from 11th. Uh, yes, he can get onto a hot streak of wins, but we've all seen kind of a history there that unless he starts to grow from some of those mistakes, there's going to be probably one or two blips there. If if you look at just the trend, right, and you look at Grosjean, he hasn't even proven he could win in the IndyCar series yet. Um, I know it's harsh, but that's just the reality. And yeah, so I don't think you can be farther back than where Alexander Rossi is right now at 75 points back. I, I think if you're farther than that, you probably shouldn't be thinking championship at this point. You should probably just think let's plug away and try to get some wins and see where we shake out after, after Nashville. And maybe with three to go, we can start to really think about this.
2: Yeah. The other interesting one there that's, that's past the, uh, your cutoff line there is uh, McLaughlin who started out the season so strong, you know, won the season opener, nearly won at Texas, uh, had it not for new, new garden, you know, past him at the end there, but, but since then he's kind of, you know, fallen off the radar while his two teammates have been solidly consistent. So, uh, and again, it's, I, I don't know if you want to call it a sophomore jinx or whatnot, uh, you know, but he is a very accomplished racer, but still he's got very few, you know, Indy car starts overall. He just got a season and a half behind him. So, but, but I, I do see probably McLaughlin um, getting it together a little more and maybe, Playing spoiler for a couple of wins here, taking them away from these other guys that could uh, really use them.
4: Well, no doubt, and I, you know, I think that you know, for all intents and purposes, too. I mean, just because I just kind of said the top seven championship challengers doesn't mean that we can't have guys that are on the outside, like all the way back to maybe fifteenth, that could maybe rise and push that envelope for a for a top ten or top, even top five finish in the championship. But I mean, and again, this is just my opinion. It's not worth anything other than what you're paying for to listen to this podcast. But um, yeah, I just uh, I start to look at this, though, and we haven't had that. The Indy GP kind of qualifies because it was a monsoon. It was kind of nutty. But we had a a person that you thought was going to be a typical winner and a typical podium is about how that race played out. We're still due. There's always one every year. We're still due with that one wacky race, right? The one that you get the unpredictable winner. Like, you remember the, the gateway race? We had the oldest podium in the history of, of IndyCar with, like, Sato and, and Borde and all them up on the podium. I think TK was there, too, if I remember right. Maybe I got that wrong.
1: You're thinking about 19 when it was Canon finishing third for Foyt? Yeah.
4: Yeah, that was the one right, with Sato beat yeah. Carpenter. <laughs> OK, yeah. So but it's like the oldest podium in the history of, of IndyCar or whatever, This third oldest, however they worded it. But then you look at you look at some of these rookies and I have been so impressed with with Kirkwood. The results don't back up everything that he's done. But when you start to look at the pace that he's extracting from a Foyt car in comparison to everybody else, it's insane, especially on the street courses, which I think shows where the true talent is having to pick up the grip level, having to increase, having to adjust. Uh, I think that's where talent really shines as far as like the IndyCar calendar goes. And then I look at, you know, obviously David Malukas has been quick. Uh, Taku and him have grown together and it's been a fun team to watch. And then, I mean, you have to be impressed with Callum Lot, right? Like we all know his history, 2020 formula two run championship runner up, arguably should be in a formula one seat right now. And you know, goes to a Yunkos Hollinger team. Yunkos couldn't barely make the grid, let alone get a top 10 finish. And he goes and plugs away a top 10 finish for him in his, uh, what, 11th start for the team. And, you know, it's just, our 10th start with the team, excuse me. And you just start to look at that. He also gets an 11th place finish for him. So within literally less than a dozen races for them, gives them their two best finishes in the history of, of them being in the sport. And they've only had 24 races under their belt, um, give or take. And it's just, it, they're a solo team. They don't have any help. Everything they do is, is based on his feedback and based on what the engineers can do. So I know he's kind of in the silly season rumor mill to maybe be at a bigger team. Certainly deserves to be in that conversation. Equally, it is a hell of a lot of fun to see a small team take it to the big guys, similar to what we used to see with Board A and KB Racing and things like that. That's what this kind of reminds me of. Um, except he's building, helping build a program literally from the ground up, and it's. Uh, I hope we get to see more of it, honestly. And I, I think him, Lucas, even Kirkwood, I think they could be sneaky to get uh, a podium or even in the right strategy, the right situation, a win. Uh, yeah, you, you
2: know, as well as I do, some of these uh, street races and road courses, you're only one ill-timed caution away from from the uh, field getting inverted. And guys you wouldn't expect suddenly up front, while guys that uh, that were leading are, are are suddenly mired back in the field because of, of the timing of the caution. So, uh, you know, anyth- anything could happen. Like you said, there's always that one wacky race, and we really haven't seen it yet this year. Yeah,
4: and, you know, what's funny is uh, – I don't know why, but I keep thinking Gateway. I mean, gateway is always kind of that weird, unique race. It's a unique race layout, length. It's it's usually you know it's a Saturday night. It's usually kind of got that weird energy, the weird atmosphere around it, and uh, cautions because of how quick the lap times there. Typically, when a caution falls there, it really jacks stuff up, right? Because you could put put a guy two laps down with how your in laps, your out laps, and your your pit road time is. So, you know. I don't know. That one's on my radar. It's kind of a wonky one that maybe you see something, something fun at.
2: Yeah. uh, Nashville's the other one on my radar to say that that we could have a kind of an odd result. I mean, who would have thought that, uh, you know, Erickson would have got his car airborne on lap one and nearly crash out and end up winning the thing. Yeah,
4: it's it's crazy, too. I mean, you think about the dirt, like think about that for a second. I don't want to go on another I'm bad about tangents, uh, especially today. I've talked to a lot of people and ended up on tangents. But, um, you know, Erickson gets airborne, should have probably been out of the race, right? Wasn't rebounded, one thing. And it, it everyone's like, oh, it speaks to the durability of an Indy car. And then you go look at how light of a hit Erickson and Palo had last weekend at, at Road America that knocked Palo out of the race completely. How I, it very much was a very light hit, but it was just enough to, to knock Pelot out. And, um, I think, I, I don't remember if it was Luis that had the stat that that was the second time he had ever had a last place finish in his career. But, um,
1: It may sound right. I haven't checked on how, who had, how many, how many career last place finishes in quite a few times, because I've been kind of shifted on the NASCAR side of things lately with the onsites.
4: Nah, I, I saw it somewhere though. And I just, I mean, it, again, it speaks to the volume of how good Pelot is. Um, but yeah, so, Going to be interesting kind of moving forward. Um, going to be interesting to see some of the silly season moving parts. There's, depending on who you talk to, it, it sounds like half the field is going to change hands with the way some people make it sound. I don't think we're going to have that, but I wouldn't be surprised if we get one or two shockers um, in different rides come 2023, some household names, moving places. Um, it's going to be interesting. And I think a lot of that really depends on what happens this month of July um you know five races and and six weekends or what have you something like that um big chunk of the schedule all over again and uh yeah gonna be a lot of fun
2: yeah we've got uh, mid-ohio coming up soon and then you know, followed by by toronto and then we've got the double header uh out there in iowa so uh yeah very very busy month of july for these guys and a, a lot could change so but speaking of household names going different places, I mean uh, the other thing I look at in the point standings is, uh, you know, Castro Nevis coming off his uh, season where he won his fourth mired way back in the points. You know, he just he just can't seem to buy a break this year, even though uh, uh, they're, they're you know the, the engineers are giving them the reasonably good car. You know, evidenced by you know Pagano is doing pretty well with that. So that's that's another guy that we've probably got to keep an eye on, particularly for like Gateway and perhaps Iowa.
4: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to keep an eye on with Elio. Um, you know, I, I think all of us think the world of him. Uh, mega talent and just amazing personality, right? Just oozes charisma all the time. Um, the, the tricky part with that is him and Pagno before the season started, both talked about how they're prepared for a challenging year. They're prepared to maybe at some race weekends be right there in the thick of it, uh, battling for – for something positive. And then other times it's going to be a really tough weekend. And, you know, I, for whatever reason, this hasn't quite hit positively for, for as much for Elio as it has for Simon uh, the way that they're extracting stuff. I, both of them are kind of carrying over their experience from Penske. Um, so they're able to change a few things, but I also think that there's something to be said for the you know, you go to Penske and at one point there was like four cars, everybody sharing information and whoever hits on that setup, a lot of guys have similar feedback, similar setups. Um, but Elio and Simon couldn't be more different in their, in their setups, right? They don't like the same things in cars. Um, one prefers one super free. One prefers it to be a lot less free. Um, uh, you know, things like that. Some of their preferences on where that, where do that freeness comes from is certainly another factor too. Um, and you know, for whatever reason, they just haven't hit on it with Elio. So he definitely, of, of many, many of the guys that need something really positive, he's definitely on that list because uh, we know what he's capable of, and he's previous race winner at Iowa. We're going there twice, um, and obviously he's going to be a threat at Gateway. You'd like to think. Um, There's just for whatever reason, they're just not quite hitting on it. And you know, this is a shared data program with Andretti. Don't let's not forget. And um, I mean, when you start to look at that, the only two Andretti drivers slash Andretti affiliated drivers are, uh, are Rossi and Pagino and one is seventh and one is 10th. And then you've got to look at Hart Herda, and Romain Grosjean and uh, 11th and 12th and then on back. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to get too overly critical of a program without knowing everything that's all the details going in, but you start to look at this and wonder the direction of things and if they're spread too thin on things and you start to ask because it's been quite a bit since Andretti has been consistently competitive across the board. Uh, You know, the way that we've seen Ganassi be competitive right now is what we were accustomed to seeing Andretti be for a little while where it was a revolving door of Rossi and Hunter Ray and so on and so forth. And, you know, even before Rossi got there, it was Hunter Ray and, and Takuma or not Takuma, sorry, Tony can And, um, you know, it just, uh, yeah, yeah, Dario, Dario, you know, Dario and Weldon. Yeah.
2: yeah. They, they, they put a string of championships together between 2004 and, and, and 2012, uh, you know, with a few gaps in there, but they, they haven't won a championship since 2012 with, uh, with on right now, mind you, they've had some great results at the 500, you know, which, uh, it makes a lot of headlines and, and, you know, great for momentum for your team, great for morale for your team. But well, it's it's been a while since they really have had um, a serious challenge for uh, the championship. you got to figure 2017 or 18, Rossi had a pretty good shot at bringing the title home and fell a little short. Well yeah, but it was
1: 18 when he and Hunter Ray were in the mix. Well, albeit Hunter Ray was a long shot at best, with Rossi being the true threat that year.
4: I mean, I'll tell you right now though, 18, that was a year Dixon one, if I remember correctly. It's all yep. to the top of my head. I don't have my notes in front of me on that. But I remember Dixon's average finish that year was absolutely video game disgusting because Rossi finished <laughs> second in that championship. And I think his average finish was still like a 4.3 or a 4.6 or something like that. Like if you go look it up, his his top fives and everything, his average finish was within the fours which meant Dixon's was somewhere around like the late threes or the high, high fours, just barely beat him on that. I mean, it's just absurd. And when you go look at like Alex Pelot, for instance, last year, I think his average finish was around a six or a five or six and won the title. So you could argue that Rossi's season in 18 was definitely worthy of a title. It's just, unfortunately what he came up against, but to go a step further, you're talking about the 500 Frank. If, unless i'm missing a year um and i might be totally off but 2017 to uh right 20, yeah, yeah you're
2: correct yeah, yeah, like, yeah like that was last,
4: that's 6 years ago i mean 16, we're talking about half
2: a decade 16, 17 yeah yeah, yeah cuz so then then you had a couple of Penske guys after that yeah mm-hmm.
4: and then you and then you had t- taku again in 2020 and um you know and obviously uh Erickson this year so i just um I don't know. I know that, that Andretti is definitely building an empire that's all over the place with formula E and all these other things. And I, it's fun to see, and it's fun to to see where all these go and you want to see them thrive and you want to see success because witnessing that type of stuff is just awesome. Um, But at the same time, you know, you don't want to see things get spread out just for the sake of, being part of the party, you'd like to see, see some success too. And it's uh, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the engineering quality. I don't know if it's the feedback. I don't know if it's a damper program or where the shortcomings are there, but for whatever reason, they're just not hitting their, their maximum potential. Uh, They're not that far away, right? It's IndyCar racing. Everyone's a 10th within hitting something and just going on a run. That's how crazy special this series is with the amount of talent, like even when you're bad, you're still really freaking good. Um, and they're just, but they're just not in that top tier conversation right now.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. And we've had, we've had his discussion on and off all season long, you know, whether it's it's the fact that Michael himself is too distracted with the, the whole formula one ordeal and what he's trying to do there. And his, he's just not involved in the day-to-day operations of the IndyCar team as like he once was. But yeah, there's uh, there's probably a number of different factors. You probably can't put your finger on just one. But uh, I think that, uh, you know, Rossi's given them some good momentum the last couple of weeks and hopefully, you know, he can go on a run here in July because there's some tracks there that favor him. So that'll be uh, that'll be fun to watch, um, see if he can bring that together. So that being said, we are kind of uh, up against the clock here, but um, Louise, where are we off to in NASCAR? We, we're going to the Nashville Super Speedway next, is that correct? Yep, all three series are going to Nashville Super Speedway. <laughs> all right, so, so we could take a few moments to preview that race and then make our picks. Yeah, for
1: sure. As far as Nashville on the cup level, I'm going to go
2: with Kyle Busch in this one. Okie dokie. Um, and uh, Joey, what do, you, what do you think? What do you think about the, the concrete Nashville?
4: Um, you know, this is kind of wild. And most of this is just, I actually think Ricky Stenhouse, um, he does good on that kind of track surface usually a player at Bristol races and things like that. And even Dover, um, I think that kind of plays to, to his advantage. So I think he kind of gets it done.
2: Okay, yeah, that's that is a uh, it's a little bit out there of a pick. It's been a while since Stanhouse won a race, and I want to say his only wins have been on a restriction play races. Have they not? Is that yep. correct, Louise? Yeah, yeah. Both so. from twenty seventeen, which is which is
1: mirroring Jimmy Spencer's Cup career, but I feel like Stanhouse has been much better. They've been getting better over time, but the question remains that team's future which we could talk about at
2: some other time yeah yeah so i who do i like for i want to say prop i want to say probably one of the hendrick cars and i'll go with uh i'll I'll go with uh bowman uh you know because they've uh yeah why not you know so speaking of hendrick uh, um a little another little news blurb today Mm -hmm. that uh jimmy johnson is hoping to uh Get together with Hendrick when they enter Le Mans next year. He's just uh, waiting to see the IndyCar schedule to see if he's going to have an opening in his uh, schedule to run at Le Mans. I don't think
3: it's Hendrick. I think it's Action Express with the
2: Cadillac. Okay. Uh, the I story. I, I story think is, he's wanting
3: to drive the uh, the garage, whichever one it is. Ah, the, you know okay. the Hendrick well, bonus
2: well, car. Well, the, the the story I read was that he wanted to reunite with Hendrick for Le Mans, but I again, I I think that was on uh sportscasting.com or some one of them crap crap ones that pop up up my inbox yeah
3: so so, yeah because jimmy is a part-time driver with action express in the 48 car for that team and um action express are the main customer for the new cadillac dpi endurance car so there's obviously a very very strong link and i think action express have confirmed they're looking at doing them on next year with that car so it wouldn't surprise me if that didn't. No, that, that, that would make
2: more, that would Hendrick. make more sense, yeah, than the Hendricks thing, yeah. Certainly. Yeah,
1: compete for a possible win and more bragging rights. Whereas the Garage Fifty Six Hendrick entry is not going to rack up any resulting order. It's just entered to not to be more than just a test run, but to compete a little to yeah. have that. I mean, if, if if Jimmy wins,
3: he's he's only only two more left for the triple crown.
4: <laughs> yeah, that
3: is. That's <laughs> yeah. for sure.
1: But that F1 tenure is well past its due date, unfortunately. But yeah, it's a good thing to, pon- to ponder for sure. It's another- ponder,
2: yeah. But uh, so what, what do you think about it? So if he's driving for Cadillac, right? Or, or even if he drives for Hendricks, puts him in a Chevy when he drives a Honda in IndyCar. You think there's a, a bit of a conflict there? Or? Nah. I wouldn't think so. F- it's not like no, F- not F1, level
1: one like with Red Bull and Infinity.
2: All right now I just well, I just remember a couple of years ago that uh what was it uh Chevy wouldn't let um it either Ford or they wouldn't let Tony Stewart run in Foyt's car at the 500 cuz Ford was running a Toyota. Yeah. And, and he was a Chevy yeah, driver so. Tony
3: Stewart an owner in one of the teams at that point in time though.
2: Yeah, and then then I guess so. when, when when Kurt Busch ran the, the 500 he was not allowed to run for a Chevy team but they, they were okay with him running a Honda team yeah yeah so yeah that's that's what i just wanted it because since chevy and um honda compete directly in indycar if there was any you know kind of uh but uh, But maybe not not, yeah
3: and, and it's it's ecr that builds those cadillac engines not hendrick so yeah yeah on the chevy front so you know it's always a little bit of a um you know you know what i mean there's always a little bit of a conflict of interest no matter where you go unless you stick with one car and one series your whole career this is quite true yeah it makes much
1: more sense than arca west being moved to a friday and then a truck's at 10 p.m eastern for championship weekend it makes as much sense so there you go
2: (laughs) okay yeah that was kind of way out of left field but yeah i guess (laughs) okay yeah so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, guys, we are out of time. So, uh, Joey, thanks for coming on. I appreciate your IndyCar midseason report. Uh, Richard, Louise, I, I always appreciate you guys every week. I want to thank uh, Mark Dill, uh, Legend of the First Super Speedway, and Dan Blay uh, Racing Art, our sponsors for the show. I want to thank Spreaker, uh, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and Google Podcasts. Thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. And I want to thank you folks who listen to us every week. Uh, till next week, good night. W-h-o-o-b-a-z-o-o. That's masi
0: Wizard.com
4: website, enter website, website.